Good morning. Please turn in your Bibles to the Gospel of John, chapter 9, if you're not there already. I hope to slow down and cover the whole chapter. Almost sounds like a contradiction in terms. There's 41 verses, but when I say slow down, I get so excited about this story. I hope I don't go too fast. It's a wonderful story. Before we get into the chapter, I'd like to ask you some questions. I'd like to ask you a, a question. You had to say at the top of your head, what are people looking for? What are people in the world looking for today? What do people want? What's their heart's desire? Money? Because they believe money is going to bring them happiness. happiness. That's right. What else besides happiness? Security. Security brings what? Peace. It does, doesn't it? You have peace. Happiness, peace. There's one more significant one people have left out. Someone, thank you. That's right. Love. Everybody wants love. Don't they? To know that they are loved by someone else and that they can care for someone as well. This is what people are looking for, but there's something else that I'd like to look at. I think we'll see some of these things as we go throughout this passage, but another aspect I think people are looking for in life, it's purpose. Purpose. Why are we here? What is our purpose in life? What is the sum of our life going to amount to? Is what we are doing going to mean anything worthwhile when it's all said and done? Because it's 41 verses, we'll only take a few verses at a time. And actually, we'll only take the first part of verse 1. It says, now as Jesus passed by. We can see from uh, chapter 7 that Jesus was going in and out of the temple. He's in Jerusalem and he's going in and out of the temple, teaching and interacting with people. In the last chapter, the Pharisees tried to corner him by taking the woman caught in adultery and throwing her before him saying what should be done with her. Of course, the Lord's response was perfect. They wanted to condemn her. He said, okay, whichever you is without sin, let him cast the first stone. And then they all left, starting with the oldest down to the youngest. In the rest of chapter 8, Jesus is telling the religious leaders, he's showing them that he is the light of the world. He tells them that. And that they really don't know God. The the religious leaders claim Abraham as their father. And Jesus acknowledges that they're descendants of Abraham. But they don't follow in Abraham's spiritual footsteps. He tells them, Jesus tells them at the end of the chapter of eight, chapter eight, verse 56. Abraham rejoiced to see Jesus day. And they started doing the math and they started to say, wait a second, you're not old enough. What do you mean? That's what Jesus says in verse 58. Most assuredly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. And they clearly understood what Jesus meant by this. Jesus was claiming to be God. And they took up stones because in their mind, that was blasphemy. So either he is God or he isn't. And he had just shown them through the miracles that he's done, through the teaching that they couldn't refute. And now we're going to see another example of how he's going to speak to them. It says in chapter 9, verse 1, that now as Jesus passed by, he saw a man who was blind from birth. You picture Jesus as he's walking out of the temple. He stops and he looks at this man. What did Jesus see when he sees this man? He sees a man, his whole existence is wrapped up in doing exactly what he's doing right there, or what he normally does right there, just begging. Begging for money. There's nothing else he could do. There's no real help for the blind man. There was no American with Disabilities Act to help him. There was nothing for him, for the blind or the lame. They were completely dependent 
upon the help of others. And where does he sit? Right near the entrance of the temple, right? Why? A lot of traffic going in and out, right? Just like I can tell you exactly where the people who ask for money are right there in the corner of Whipple and Dyer and um, over here in Dyer and Alvarado Niles. Why? Because that's the high traffic area. That's the best place to beg for money. And how would he say it? He's hoping that the, the religious, the pious people going in and out of the temple will have mercy on him. And he'll say, may God bless you for your mercy on me. And he cries out to him all day long. Normally, he would be doing that on this day out loud. But he's silent. Why is that? Why is he quiet? Because what day is it? That's the Sabbath. Oh. Can't work on the Sabbath, right? Now, the Sabbath was a day of rest that God had given. From the very beginning, from Genesis, God had given the seventh day as a day of rest. And God had, through Moses, reemphasized that. That it was a day to be set apart. Not to do your customary work, but to rest and therefore to worship God. Unfortunately, the Jews and their religious zeal and pride had made so many extra laws concerning the Sabbath. I started to research this, and it's just volumes of books, of details of what you could and could not do just on the Sabbath. Down to how much you could pick up, as long as it was you know, under a, you know, maybe the size of a fig. You could carry that. But you got pretty close, so you should only carry half a fig. But if you carried a half a fig twice, you're really in danger of breaking the Sabbath. Because that was work, you see. Or if it was a load that you could normally carry by yourself, but you got someone else to help you, and the two of you carried it together, it really wasn't work, because you didn't do it by yourself, because you got someone else to, to help you. What you could lift, how far you could walk. You could only walk a certain distance, even how you could bathe. You couldn't work too hard at bathing or if that was considered work on the Sabbath. We laugh. They are dead serious. Volumes and volumes of books written over generations of rabbis. All of what they surrounded the Sabbath so as not to break it. So by the time these rabbis were done, you felt like you were worshiping the Sabbath instead of worshiping the Lord of the Sabbath. These were all the oral traditions the rabbis had taught year after year and it handed down. They started to be written down and they started to be followed more than the word of God. So even this blind man who normally would be begging for money, he can't. Why? That's his normal job, see? <laughs> That's his customary work, so he can't beg for money. Isn't that sad? Matter of fact, you wouldn't even want to give him money, because if you gave him money, maybe he was thinking about asking you, and if someone saw you give him money, they could accuse him of working, and he'd be in trouble. See how horrible that is? It's just, it's just terrible. People would have to slip him money privately on the Sabbath to take care of him. And Jesus could have passed him by. Remember, the Jews were right behind Jesus to stone him. But Jesus was stopping to see, to consider this man. Verse 2, it says, And his disciples asked him, saying, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? We see the disciples wondering how this man was born blind. We don't know how the disciples knew he was born blind. Uh, maybe they had heard him begging on other days, on other occasions, out there stating his cause as he begged people for money for one who was born blind. The bottom line, the disciples concluded it had to be because of sin. Someone must have sinned. Is it true that blindness and other disablements come from sin? Is that true? <laughs> yes 
Could be. Maybe. Yes and no is the answer, isn't it? From what the disciples were saying, they believed that either his parents sinned or he sinned. So there was thoughts of that day that if you were a parent and you sinned, maybe you were pregnant or even before, that it would come out in your children in a disablement. The other thought there was maybe this man sinned. Maybe he sinned while he was in the womb. Kind of hard to imagine what you could sin in the womb. I'm sure some of you moms felt a pretty good kick in the side before and not too happy about it. But sin? Some people thought, well, God punished you ahead of time for the sin you were going to do by giving you blindness when you were born. Horrible. None of these things are biblical conclusions. But those were thoughts of the day. How is it a result of sin? God never wanted blindness. God never wanted disease. God never wanted death. God never wanted cancer. And yet we live with these things every day, don't we? It's not God's fault. We need to stop blaming God. We're the ones who ruined it. We sinned. In Adam, the scripture says, we all sinned. We're the ones who departed from God. First at the garden, and to be honest, every day since then. But it's because of that first fall that these things, blindness exist and other problems. If this is easy to do, though, isn't it, what the disciples did? Oh, look what happened to him. Oh, he must have done something bad. Look at that trial that they're going through. You know, I always kind of thought they didn't handle this situation right. And now they're getting the consequences of it. Sound familiar? Some religions, they got a name for this. I think, is it Hinduism? You do something bad? Something, something happens to you? What's that called? Karma. Karma. You know what? I'm looking all throughout my Bible. I still can't find the word karma. Why? It's not there. It's not there. You have to be very careful when people are going through trials and problems. You don't know. You get a whole book of Job and chapters and chapters of these guys accusing him of doing wrong, and they couldn't be more off base. The Lord tells them at the end, you have my servant Job pray for you. Anyone sinning, it's you guys. You're completely off base. Careful of ascribing karma or anything else like that talked about this last week just be merciful to one another pray for one another think if it was you being misunderstood blamed pray for someone else the way you'd have them pray for you god allows bad things to happen to bring about good we see that in job and we have that promise in romans 8 don't we for a believer All things work together for good. That is great. Whatever comes up today, tomorrow, you can stop and take that promise to the bank every day, every time. Never gets worn out. Always good. All things work together for good. Those who love God. Jesus tells us the reason the reason this man, this man is blind has nothing to do with the disciples suggestions. But for more important reasons. Verses three through five, Jesus answered, neither this man nor his parents sin, but that but that the works of God should be revealed in him. I must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. The night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. This is good to know, isn't it? It's good to know that not every tragedy is due to personal sin. Maybe God has allowed something. Maybe it's going to turn out to be incredible, unbelievable, a miracle. And that's what's going to happen here. Jesus is going to use this man's blindness and therefore this man's witness to show who Jesus is and to bring glory to himself. Jesus talks here about a limited time. He has a, he has a small amount of time, a certain amount of time 
where he's in the world, where he can do the works of the one who sent him. Through this blind man, he is going to again be witnessing to the religious leaders, again to the world. We're going to see that this one, that this is the one main purpose of a believer. This is one of the main purposes of a believer is to be a witness for Christ. His people were here and were not with him. In John, he says, I am the light of the world. And in Matthew, what does he say? You are the light of the world. So who is it? It's Jesus. Jesus, for a limited time, through his people, is the light of the world. He's shining through us out to others. And here we're going to see that demonstrated in this blind man. Verse 6. When he said these things, he spat on the ground and made clay with saliva, and he anointed the eyes of the blind man with the clay. We don't have our resident optometrist, do we? Does this seem kind of unusual to any of you? Michael, Michael's in physical therapy. He's kind of nodding his head. Spitting on the ground, making clay with dirt, and then putting it on someone's eyes? Well, just, just for the record, actually in biblical times, saliva was considered medicinal. <laughs> we know a little bit more now than then, but it was considered medicinal back then. But beyond that, he takes the saliva and he makes clay out of it. Uh-oh, what's the problem with that? Oh, he's working. That's work. It's laughable here now, isn't it? But to then, to them, then it was work. It was working on the Sabbath. Is doubtless in my mind that Jesus was speaking in the hearing of this man when he was talking earlier. And actually, when you see this passage, you don't see Jesus speaking a whole lot. About 41 verses, you know, 80% of the time he's not talking. And I appreciate a brother. Um, There's a little a story, a little aside. When I was a new believer, I was warned against the, and I hope just to warn people here, if you have a Bible, sometimes you have a, a Bible that's all in black, Sometimes you have Bibles black and red, right? They put the words of Jesus in red, okay? Just to let you know, those words that are in red are not more important than the other words, okay? It's all the word of God, okay? But one way you can use, I have a red letter Bible. The one way you can use the the words of Christ in, in red is that you can see when Jesus is talking and what are the words in black? When Jesus is working. And I like that. And we're going to see here, Jesus might not be talking much, but he's working. He's working the works of him who sent him while he has the chance. So he's making mud. He's putting on the man's eyes. He's literally doing work in the eyes of the Pharisees, the religious leaders. And I think Jesus was talking to the man. Later, uh, uh, the the blind man tells people it was Jesus who healed him. He knows it was Jesus. Imagine if you were that blind man. His eyes have never worked. He's felt other people's eyes, I'm sure. You ever ever been with blind people? If they want to see who you are, they want to kind of touch you so they can get an idea. Can use the word vision. An idea of what you look like. How sensitive must his eyes have been? And Jesus wanted to touch him. But he knew enough about Jesus. Everyone knew that Jesus had been refused by the Pharisees. And I have a, I have a feeling on the blind people circuit, the name of Jesus meant a lot. You know, because who do you have friends with? You have friends who are like you, right? And so for those who are sitting around begging, I think he knew about the name of Jesus. But we're going to see his faith grow. His faith starts small, but then it continues to grow.
He knew enough to, to hear what Jesus was saying and to do it and to obey it. In verse 7, And he said to him, Go, wash in the pool of Siloam, which is translated sent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. <laughs> I think that's so appropriate. Jesus sends him to the pool called sent. Jesus is the one sent by God to a lost world, to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And they go, no, we don't want to hear it. And they stone him, chasing him, essentially, out of the temple. So what does Jesus do? He heals a blind man, sends him to a pool called Sent, which isn't too far away, by the way. Why? This is, this is the patience of God. This is the mercy of God. He just keeps reaching out to people. He sends him to sent because he's another sent one to witness, to speak to them about their heart, about their souls. <clears throat> what would you be like if you were that blind man going to that pool? I, he probably knew the way. At least I hope he did. I don't know the history of blindness. I should have looked that up and see if they had canes and then I don't see why they couldn't, why they wouldn't. But you know, I bet you he found his way to that pool as quickly as he could. I don't know about a stick or grab some people, but he found his way. He had mud on his eyes and he's moving towards that pool. He obeys and he goes and what happens? He come back, seeing blurry, seeing partially, fully seeing, having his eyes wide open from total blindness to perfect vision, perfect vision. Okay, no, I'm speaking loudly to all y'all wearing glasses right now. Perfect vision. Most of the, what we're going to talk about is the purpose of believers today. But I'm going to tell you this morning, if you don't know the Lord, this is your purpose. Your purpose in life, your, your first initial need in life is to have your eyes open. We're all blind, but you need to have your eyes open by Jesus. We'll talk more about that as we, a little bit more about it as we go along. But what happened to this man is exactly what Jesus wants to do in your life. He wants to open your eyes to who you are, to who he is, and what it means to know him. Okay, well, now is where it gets even more interesting, if you can believe it or not. Verse 8. Now we have the, the reaction of the neighbors. Therefore, the neighbors and those who previously had seen that he was blind said, Is this not he who sat and begged? Some said, this is he. Others said, he is like him. He said, I am he. Therefore, they said to him, how were your eyes opened? He answered, a man called Jesus made clay and anointed my eyes and said to me, go to the pool of Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and I received my sight. Then he said to him, where is he? He said, I do not know. They brought him who formerly was blind to the Pharisees. Now, it was a Sabbath when Jesus made clay and opened his eyes. So what did the neighbors think? They didn't know what to think, huh? First of all, they didn't even recognize him. Why didn't they recognize him? They were his neighbor. He wasn't blind anymore. You want to talk about extreme makeover? Forget it. This guy was totally changed. When you, you fix someone, because when you look at someone, you look at their eyes. You go for someone who's blind to seeing perfectly, I can't even imagine it. They probably thought he was his twin, right? I don't know. He kind of looks like him. You got a twin brother who's blind? It can't be you. You were blind. You were born blind. We all know you. And what does he finally tell them? It's me. It is me. 
So what happens next? And now here's where we start to see the man's understanding. Here he calls Jesus a man. A man called Jesus open eyes. Okay? That's all right. That's all he knows. It was a man who touched him and opened his eyes. But we're going to see, and this is what happens with faith. When the Lord opens your eyes, and there's, it's, it's like a seed, that seed of faith just starts to grow. And you can even push on it a little bit. You can push on it, and it'll continue to grow. And we're going to see he gets pushed on a lot, and he grows greatly. Here he just calls Jesus a man. But he does give Jesus all the credit for healing him. He tells him how Jesus did it. He took some clay and he put it on my eyes. And then he sees his neighbors go, who did what? And all that possibility of excitement and rejoicing is gone. It's all looks of concern. Jesus did this, and he did it on the Sabbath. They all knew Jesus had been rejected by the religious leaders. He had already healed a paralyzed man on the Sabbath. Told him to take up his bed and walk. Made the other guy do work too. Jesus was already a breaker of their man-made laws. And here he was doing it again. I gotta stop. We gotta stop. We gotta do a Sandy check real quick. Look what he did. He healed a paralyzed guy two chapters, uh, chapters before, four chapters before. And now he's, he heals a blind man, born blind. Wow. I don't care what you want to call it. That's wonderful. Amen. As we go on to read here, you can only see the hardness, the hardness. The possibility of the hardness of the human heart and their reaction. And it's not just the Pharisees either, not just the religious leaders. He's, he's healed someone born blind. Shouldn't someone step up and take notice? Shouldn't someone appreciate the Lord for who he is and what he's done? You know who wouldn't do it? None of the neighbors would. They'd been so beaten down, brainwashed, as it were, intimidated, whatever else you want to call it, that they couldn't stand with this blind man. They only brought the blind man to the Pharisees to see what they would say. That's Sadly, that's a lot like today, isn't it? When the Lord does a miracle in someone's life, there should be rejoicing. There's change. Look at the change in that person's life. The story's been told, or the, there was his parents, and unfortunately they had this drug addict for a son. And the drug addict, it was in a horrible situation, and the parents were so sad. And the drug addict was delivered. And then the parents found out how. And they said, we'd rather have the drug addict's son back than have the son become a Christian. It's horrible. It's horrible. They'd have preferred to have an addict for a son than a saved, healed Christian. Even in professing circles today, those who call themselves Christians, they cave to social pressures. Whether it be about evolution well, all the scientists agree it has to be this way. Then you see all these different type of, well, well, maybe it could have been this, maybe it could have been that. And all of a sudden we start compromising the book of Genesis out of the Bible. Other social issues, homosexuality, child-centered parenting, materialism, just self-centeredism in general. Living for self. And it's sad to see that those who profess Christ getting caught up in that wave. And they abandon the truth. And you know who they abandoned? They abandoned any true believer standing in the truth. Oh, that's old. 
Well, the words, that's, that's just a fundamentalist. That's old-fashioned. I'm sure they'll have some new words. I just call it the truth. It's just what the Bible says. The Bible hasn't changed. Why should I? God hasn't changed. But you know what? This is the reality of the case. This is the reality of the situation. If you're going to stand for the truth, you're going to have to accept the fact that you're not going to be popular. It is a, relatively speaking, lonely position. You're not going to be in the majority. You will be in the vast minority. And this is a great purpose that Jesus has for his believers. He left, and we are left here to be the light of the world. To stand up in a very dark world. Just like this blind man is doing. Verses 15 and 16. Then the Pharisees also asked him again how he had received his sight. He said to them, he put clay on my eyes and I washed and I see. Therefore, some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God because he does not keep the Sabbath. So what does the Pharisees ask the man? What happened? You see, this is going to happen a lot with this guy. So much so he gets fed up with it. But he's got his story down pretty good. It's real easy. This isn't rocket science. I was blind. He put butt on my eyes. I went and washed. I can see. You can kind of tell from the wording that the neighbors probably already told the Pharisees this, but they want to hear it from his mouth themselves. By the way, how would you feel if you were this man? You can see now. It's wonderful. And you're in trouble. <laughs> For some reason, you're in trouble. It's horrible. All he sees is worried looks and questioning concern. But the Pharisees are going to stick to their guns. They believe Jesus is a sinner and not from God because he doesn't keep their ridiculous ideas of what the Sabbath should be kept. they, They refuse to recognize the truth, staring them in the face. Did you know that's, that's a possibility in the human heart? Did you know if it's a possibility in the Pharisees, it's a possibility in you and I? To have the truth staring us in the face and go, no, I don't want to believe it. I refuse to believe it. Nope, it's got to be something else. It's a true statement. There is no blindness like he who will not see. And it's scary. It's scary. They were not going to recognize it. What would it mean? It would mean generations of forefathers and they themselves were all wrong. And they would not admit it, even though Jesus was telling it to their face. Sure, there was a few who who argued for Jesus, probably Nicodemus amongst one of them. But this didn't last long. Verses 17 and 18. They said to the blind man again, what do you say about him? Because he opened your eyes. The blind man said, he said, he is a prophet. But the Jews did not believe concerning him that he had been blind and received his sight until he called the parents. It's interesting. Now they can't work with the facts because the facts are a little too disheartening so let's just talk what do you think about jesus what does that have to do with anything you know and so they ask him what do you think about him so what's the guy gonna say i think he's a prophet i think he is sent from god you see this guy's faith growing he went from a man to a prophet okay a man sent from god trial will do that to you someone puts you on a point they put the, the stick in there. You got to pick. Which side of the fence are you going to fall on? You see? And this guy's falling on the right side. And he's all by himself in front of the religious leaders. Nevertheless, the conversation is going the wrong way. So the Pharisees want to double back. Let's talk about this again. Hold on a second. If you laugh during this message, please feel free because it's funny, it's hilarious. 
in a tragic way. Refusing to accept the fact that this man was born blind. Verse 18. Rest of it there. To call, until they called the parents of him who had received his sight. And they asked the, them, the parents, saying, Is this your son whom you say was born blind? How then, that, how then does he now see? His parents answered them and said, We know that this is our son and that he was born blind. But by what means he now sees, we do not know. Or who opened his eyes, we do not know. He is of age. Ask him. He will speak for himself. His parents said these things because they feared the Jews. For the Jews had agreed already that if anyone confessed that he was Christ, that Jesus was Christ, he would be put out of the synagogue. Therefore, his parents said, he is of age. Ask him. So what, so what are the Pharisees doing now with the parents? Call them liars, huh? You say he was born blind. Was he really? Come on. He sees now. He wasn't really born blind. Did you have him out there working the temple just to get money? It's ridiculous. But that's what the human heart will do. You will make up. You will imagine things to explain away the truth. To me, though, this is the saddest part of the whole story. If not the saddest, one of the saddest. It's sad that none of the neighbors stood by him. The neighbors who knew him every day pitied him, but none of them would stand by him in front of the religious leaders. It's, it's wrong. The religious leaders won't bow to the truth, staring them in the face. But now this is his own parents. We have an expression at work. We call it throwing someone under the bus. You ever heard that expression before? Yeah, a little bit. Oh, yeah, ever been thrown underneath the bus? Yeah, a little bit. It happens. His parents are throwing him underneath the bus. They don't deny the fact that he was born blind. They don't deny the fact that he can now see. But they won't stand with them. They're not rejoicing with them. They're not enforcing the fact. They're not sitting right there saying, yeah, this is great. He was blind. Yeah, now he can see. He's never lied to us. Whatever he says is the truth. Who made you well, son? No. They're intimidated. They're bowing out. Why? Fear. Fear of social pressure. Fear of getting kicked out. They won't even stand with their own son. Sad. Verse 24. So they again called the man who was blind and said to him, give God the glory. We know that this man is a sinner. So he answered and said, whether he's a sinner or not, I do not know. One thing I know that though I was blind, now I see. Let's stop there a second and talk about what he means by this. They're, they're trying to make a conclusion. They've stopped asking questions and they're concluding the manner for him. You see, because they've got it all figured out. Give God the glory, but we know this man's a sinner. <laughs> He's not going to let it rest there. That's not going to work. First thing he says, he says, whether he's a sinner or not, I do not know. And I'd be careful the way it's said there. It's not like he's acknowledging that Jesus might be a sinner. That's not the point. He's not going to try to argue with their details of what they think they know and don't know about Jesus. He wants to get down to the, the heart of the matter. I was blind. Now I see. Okay, because there is no argument for reality. You see. And there's no argument for reality such as this. (laughs) Again, this is an aside. This is why testimonies are so, so important. How the Lord saved you as a believer. Use it. Share it. Talk to people about it. Don't be ashamed of it. Share with what the Lord, because they can't argue with it. All you can, because you can say, just like this blind man, I can tell you this, I was blind, now I see. I used to think I was okay. I used to think I would make it to heaven some other way. I used to think I could avoid God. And I realized I can't. I realized who I really was and where I was really going. And now I see who Jesus is 
and he saved me. And now I know where I'm going. And now I know why I'm here. I know what the key is to peace, love, joy, happiness, purpose in life. One word, Jesus. Use your testimony. Speak to others. Can't argue with it. Verse 26. Then he said to him again, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? <laughs> Man, it wouldn't be so funny if it wasn't tragic. This is foolish. They tried to ask him again about what happened. And I appreciate his answer. His answer is right on. He tells them, verse 27, I told you already and you did not listen. Now we're going to see the tables turn. They thought they were teachers and he was listening. No, 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 no. He's going to start teaching them. And they fully understand that. They don't appreciate it, but they understand it. He says, why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? <laughs> now, I'm kind of torn on this one. Or whether he's being facetious. Or he's actually trying to give him an invitation. We'll just leave it hang out there. I don't know. But I think it's wonderful that he said this. And you know what it tells me also? He thought Jesus was a man. Then he said he was a prophet. But you know who that prophet is? It's one he's following. Do you also want to be a disciple of Jesus? I tell you, I am. Verse 28, then they reviled him. Okay, here, you start, you start throwing insults and stuff. Here we go. You can't, argue, you can't argue with people. You ever see that? You can't argue with them. People can't argue with you. They can't give you the, the, the reality of the conversation. They just start hurling insults. Starts getting personal. Get, get out. Get out of the conversation at that point. Then they reviled him and said, you are his disciple. We are Moses' disciple. We know what God spoke to Moses. As for this fellow, we do not know where he is from. You see, they're, they're hiding behind the coattails of Moses, right? As if that's going to help. Bad move. Bad move. What does he say here? And again, you know, I think, again, this is a blind man. He was a beggar. Who is this? This is Jesus working through a blind man. Jesus touched this blind man. He, he, he isn't the same. I don't think he's ever going to be. Verse 30, the man answered and said to them, why? This is a marvelous thing that you do not know where he is from. Yet he has opened my eyes. You see what he's saying? Whoa, that's something else. You guys are the, the religious leaders. You're it for all of us. And here I am born blind and you got no idea where he's from. Boy, that's something. I thought you guys knew everything. Hmm. And now, we're, now he just gets flat out theological on him. Verse 31. Now we know that God does not hear sinners. You know, I like about that statement. He says, we. That's when you start teaching somebody. Well, come on. We know that this is the case, you know. He's just sitting him down. Put his, this is an old, this is probably stinky, old, you know, beggar, all crusty, and putting his arm around, you know, these Pharisees, religious, real uptight people. Come on now. We know God doesn't hear sinners. But if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, he hears him. Since the world began, it has been unheard of that anyone opened the eyes of one who was born blind. Just come on. Let's think about this. Since the world began. And if there's anyone who knows this, it's this man who's just lived it for decades. This was his life. He had no hope. No one was ever healed. Maybe he heard something about a Jesus, but knew nothing until that day. He understands the fact that he who honors me, I will honor. That's what the Lord does. He says, look, it's real simple. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. That's the conclusion. Jesus has to be from God. It's clear, isn't it? 
Clear to everybody? Nope. Was it clear to the leaders, religious leaders? They realized that the blind man was teaching them. He was teaching them exactly what, exactly the way Jesus had taught them. Something you couldn't argue with. Something you couldn't debate with. The reality of who Jesus is. It's real simple. Just look, listen to the miracles. Look at the miracles. Let them speak to you about who Jesus is. So they hurl insults at him. Verse 34. They answered and said to him, You were completely born in sins, and are you teaching us? And they cast him out. There you go. If you can't talk to him about the facts, what do you do? You just kick him out. And again, what this phrase means, you have to understand, he just wasn't kicked out of their presence. He was excommunicated. He was kicked out of their social and religious world. He's out. He used to be shunned by everyone. He used to be considered a, a, a heretic. He is out. Okay? Because he has completely forsaken what they think. Oh, praise the Lord. It's a good thing he did. That was the right thing to do. He was that one little fish swimming upstream when the whole current was going that way. Been kicked out. It says in Hebrews that Jesus suffered outside the camp. It was outside of Jerusalem where he suffered. And he calls us to him outside the camp. If you have that desire to be appreciated and liked and received and welcomed by the world, you can't have Jesus. Because you'll have to compromise on the truth. But if you stick to the truth and you tell the world about Jesus, you'll be ostracized. You'll be kicked out. You'll be excommunicated from the world. Thankfully, the story doesn't stop there, huh? Verse 35, Jesus heard that they had cast him out and we had found him. He said to him, do you believe in the son of God? He answered, who is he, Lord, that I may believe in him? As you have to remember, this guy doesn't know what Jesus looks like. I don't think that's a problem. He recognizes that same voice who healed him. He's talking to him right now. And he just says, who is he, Lord? Because now it's just him and Jesus. It's just him and Jesus. And Jesus said to him, you have both seen him, and it is he who is talking with you. Then he said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. He worshipped him. What do you have here? He had the fulfillment of the, of the man's faith. He saw Jesus as a man, a prophet, a, a teacher, a master, a Lord. He sees him, the son of God, the son of man, the Messiah. And what's he do? Rightfully, worships. There's your reward, by the way. All the rejection of the world, but you get Jesus. Amen? He's worth it. He is worth it. Verse 39, and Jesus said, For judgment I have come into this world, that those who do not see may see, and that those who see may be made blind. That some of the Pharisees who were with him heard these words and said to him, Are we blind also? Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have no sin. But now you say, We see, therefore your sin remains. It's a little turn of a phrase, and hopefully it's not confusing to you. What is Jesus saying here? He came in, what did he come, why did he come into the world? For judgment. So that those who say that they see, oh yeah, we know God. We know how to get to God. We're good. It's okay. We've got it. Thanks. If you turned a blind eye to Jesus and you say you have it, what else is left? There's nothing else left but continual blindness. Oh, I can already see the way to God. <laughs> That's leading to nothing but blindness. 
But if you'll come to the Lord and say, I'm blind, I don't even see my sin. I don't see what state I'm in. I don't see God. I don't know what's going to happen to me when I die. I'm blind. I know I'm going to die, but I don't know what's going to happen. If you will come to him, then he will give you sight. You will see yourself. You will see him. And you'll see what it means to be saved. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we do want to thank you. We thank you that you are the light of the world. We thank you for how you touched this blind man so many uh, millennia ago, so many centuries ago, Lord, and how his story still affects us today. Lord, I pray for those who are here who are still blind. Lord, we are all blind, but there's some here that are still blind. They don't see the situation that they're in. They don't see that today they could be in your presence, but without a savior. They don't see the danger of sin, which drags to hell. Lord, I pray that they would open their eyes, that you would apply that, that ointment, that salve, that eye ointment to open their eyes that they might see. And Lord, for those of us who know you, we thank you, Lord Jesus. We thank you that you've opened our eyes. And we see from this story today that to stand for you is not going to be a popular thing. But we see in the end that it's you who is our reward. And we, we confess with your words, Lord, that the momentary, temporary afflictions of this world are not worthy to be compared to the glory that's awaiting us when we see you, Lord. We look forward to that day when we hear that well done, thou good and faithful servant. Lord, until that day, help us to stand for you, to not be silent, to speak out for you, to be that light in this dark world until you call us home. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Amen.